This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to E2B Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune, giving you thought, leadership, and insights into the oil and gas industry. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and today I'm joined by Greg Crowley, director at Opportune, and John Eccles, partner at Opportune. And we're going to be talking about the year 2020, some of the things that we saw, and also look ahead into 2021 and recognize some of the trends, some of the ways that the market has been disrupted, and what we expect to see in 2021. So let's dive into that conversation now. Greg Greg and John, what steps do energy companies need to take that they maybe didn't in 2020 in order to weather the storm of commodity price volatility in 2021? So 2020, um, as we all know, is going to go down as a a pretty interesting year on a variety of fronts. And I think uh, for energy companies, I think we could talk about energy companies uh, in a number of different subsets, but for energy companies in general, um, I think there's probably, you know, a number of things they can do. One of, one of which is a number of them are gonna, you know, are to some extent, you know, trying to survive. And I think if you're a production company, right? If you're an energy production company uh, in the United States, you're going to be you'd be wise to focus on sort of balance sheet uh, health. I think, uh, you know, you might also be more diligent about how you. Think about hedging, um, and maybe in the past you were not perhaps uh, as quick to to put hedges on. You know, you maybe now are going to be uh, a little more purposeful in trying to make sure you've got at least hedges in place to keep the lights on in the company, and try to create optionality in other parts of your business, sort of things that you have more influence over. So that could be finding assets in your portfolio, perhaps that have some optionality. Maybe you've got a piece of pipe that you bought or you bought access to for some period of time that was going to help you develop some fields. Um, There are ways that you can look at trying to monetize that to some extent. You might sell some of that optionality to to somebody who can market your your product for you, for example. Um, Other energy companies like traders, I think that's you know, the big trade of 2020, uh, certainly there was some volatility, but the big event that happened in 2020 was clearly the negative oil prices back in April. And there were certain companies that, you know, made their 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 year, perhaps their, their decade on that because they were in a position to really jump on that opportunity, uh, perhaps already had storage, uh, were clever about maybe ways to go get storage, you know, at the maybe from the US government at the last minute there, there was only really one person who had storage. That was the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And so, so the two things you needed to have at that time was storage and capital. And so, you know, it was a bit of a scary time maybe to put capital to work, especially for energy companies because they were looking at their forward stream of, uh, of revenue. And that was not looking great, but yet there was this wonderful trade opportunity that you had to go put capital into. And so, I'm not sure that all the energy, all the companies that have trading arms or logistical optimization arms inside the production company really realize that opportunity. So some of the things that they might need to do going forward is to spend the time and the effort to 
to make sure the capital is available when those opportunities arise. And so I, I guess just in general, it's a matter of focusing on what you can control. Uh, and to me, that is, you know, investing in process, uh, investing in efficiency, technology, such that you can really realize the opportunities that volatility uh, will present eventually. They always do in this market. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Greg's got it broadly right. I mean, with uh, with the lack of uh, interest by the capital markets in energy in general uh, and in upstream in particular, you know, it's all about living within your own free cash level, right? You, you, you're not going to be able to turn to the market to supplement your cash flow needs. So, you know, you hear um, GNA GNA control and and um, cost controlling costs in the field, uh, selling off non-core properties, um, and and then ultimately reining in your capital budget, all such that you can flow cash without anybody's help. And you know that won't last forever, I don't think, but it's it's the drill right now. Do you expect trade finance liquidity to change in the coming year? And if so, how? Trade finance liquidity, of course, is a little bit different than uh, sort of general capital availability to the upstream sector. Trade finance would be, um, you know, that which supports the traders. Um, and so there were a number of events, particularly in Asia, that, uh, that caught capital providers, the banks, lenders. Uh, off guard, and there's a lot of losses out there. And as a result, uh, a number of the traditionally large providers of capital to trade finance and commodities, which are usually European or Asian banks, are really, really kind of pulled back. Um, HSBC, ABN, SOCGEN have all kind of trimmed back their uh, commodity finance businesses, really mostly centered in Asia, but we see some of that too in, in the U.S. Um, Paribas has you know, made announcements that they are no longer going to lend money to uh, the hydrocarbon space, right? So it gets into the whole new world of, of where we're going. But I think, you know, capital, like John said, capital is going to be tough to get in the in the upstream markets, but there's probably going to be some new, you know, new, some new focus on uh, even in the commodity trade markets, not just because of the difficult market environment, but also because of the significant losses uh, that were experienced uh, by from traders in Asia that are yet to be resolved. How is the stress in the upstream oil and gas sector affecting traders and how will they approach 2021? John might see a lot more of this, uh, particularly on the restructuring side. But I think one of the things I've noticed is the traders are, you know, commodity trading to some extent has always been about putting capital to work. Um, if you look at some of the big traders, you know, over the over the last few years, I guess to some extent they're the they are the vehicle or the mechanism by which finance is getting into the market, right? And that could be, you know, big energy traders that are, they're helping finance developments uh, in, in, in different countries or, you know, taking a piece of uh, 
a terminal operation. And so I think one of the things I've noticed is that some of the commodity traders seem to be, um, I don't want to say lurking about, but sort of you know hanging around the restructuring space, looking for um, assets to, that they might help monetize. And so that could either be through a restructuring or I mentioned earlier about how companies might want to monetize their some of their assets that have optionality, like a pipeline or something like that. Well, these traders can do that to some extent, right? So they enter into agreements with the production companies by which they might get, you know, preferential uh, pricing on uh, on getting oil or gas in exchange for being able to use the, uh, the the transportation or maybe storage or whatever it might be. So I think you know. This is something that the traders have always done, but I think to some extent they're, you know, they're focused on that. And it's probably also consistent with just the way that the, that the capital markets are evolving. Um, you know, to some extent, the, you know, you could make a case that the commodity trading started with Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs through uh, JR. And so, you know, those are no; those were investment banks at the time. Well, they're no longer investment banks; they're commercial banks. And so now, what's happened is that these commodity traders are out there, uh, and they're operating sort of like those companies used to. Um, and a lot of what those companies used to do is to deploy capital. And so, I think that's happening with the with the private capital markets, whether they be debt capital or equity capital. Some of that money is finding its way into the energy, ups, you know, the energy industry via these commodity traders and those traders that are sort of savvy about how to do that will probably benefit. Look, I, I, I Greg's, Greg's spot on. Uh, I won't, I won't, I won't mention uh, company names, but uh, we, we, we saw this drill in sort of 1999, um, 1997, you know, when, when the banks and others were really out of the, the, the market to lend to, uh, upstream companies, right? This, this is not happen. This is not the first time this has happened. Um, Enron actually stepped in with some some other alternative financing type products like volumetric production payments, which which they didn't invent, right? Volumetric production payments, you know, transfer title to the underlying hydrocarbons in the ground, so they're a very secure way. Uh, and and but to do that, you know, a bank's not going to do that, right? A commodity trader can. So I think we're aware of uh, commodity traders today who see a vacuum uh, from either the private equity markets in general, or certainly the the, the commercial lenders. Uh, and I think they will step up with alternative structured finance deals that uh, can provide some capital. But you know, it's it's generally more expensive. Um, and it's going to be, you know, highly credit um, and protected, but but they will rush in to some to some extent. One thing to just toss in there too, I think, which for me is quite interesting, is that you know you think about this industry and it goes through these big phases. And like John said, you know, whether it was in the '90s or whenever, you think about the sort of the ongoing regulatory environment during that time. Um, you know, and how it was evolving. Well, if you think about what's happened since 2008, um, since 2008, the big regulatory change on the capital side was the Dodd-Frank Act, which is still being kind of 
pushed out in various regulatory you know, decisions and actions. But, but the bottom line is it's harder for commercial lenders, commercial banks to be in physical markets. It's harder for them to do a lot of the things that, that, was, that they were doing prior to 2008. And so in, in, not only is it harder from a regulatory standpoint, it also costs them more from a regulatory capital standpoint. So they're just not as profitable. And so I think that just sits behind what John was saying, which is, you know, there's incentive for these other entities to come in and do it. And, you know, and a lot of the people that were at those institutions when, you know, when they were doing it at financial organizations have gone to the, to the traders. And so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that, that trend will continue. How have publicized losses of energy traders in Asia impacted lenders? I have too much to add, really, other than, you know, that I think that trickles, you know, what happened in Asia sort of trickles back here. And, you know, one company, there are a few companies, right, but some companies have kind of trimmed back their trade finance lending activity in, you know, in that part of the world. Others have just pulled out of it altogether. And so, you know, who goes in, who does, you know, who takes their place, we're aware of, you know, certainly one bank that's new to the space, but, um, you know, I guess it's unclear how the market will react. Um, but at some point, I guess, you know, all the, all that, it just needs to find the right price and then there'll be a supply for it. But I think the other, the other interesting thing that has happened amongst the lenders is I think I think last year there maybe a major there was like four or five perhaps six uh, bankruptcies, and so there's been a renewed push to develop technology amongst the lenders, um, you know whether that's blockchain technology or whatever, to try and understand the collateral that supports their activity better. And I mean we certainly know you know here at Opportune we we know how complicated transacting in the physical energy markets are. And so, you know, if you can imagine trying to keep track of all that collateral from an arm's length relationship with a lender, that stuff's hard to do. It's hard enough to do it inside the company. And so, you know, so I think we're seeing, you know, an investment, if you will, on the part of the lenders to, to try and understand things better from a technology standpoint. Um, so we'll see, we'll see where that goes. But certainly, you know, you can't solve a problem until you know you have one. And so it seems as though they have one. They recognize that so they need to understand the collateral package better. Uh, certainly, some of the lenders do. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think uh, a, a lot of the work that we've done uh, at Opportune around commodity trading has been around uh, remediating issues, and uh, you know, we, we 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 have a framework for what we think is essential uh, to to have effective risk management. Um, you know, and avoid problems that have that, that have persisted for 20 years and they come in various forms and irregularly. But but a lot of our work in commodities and trading uh, has has been around uh, avoiding the sorts of things that we you know, just continue to see every like a number 18 to 24 months. Um, and that, that's frankly where a lot of recognized time has been spent over the last few years. How might a Biden administration approach compliance and enforcement priorities of the CFTC or FERC in 2021? And will this have an effect in how energy companies operate in 2021? I guess, I mean, um, 
I, I, I just don't know where, where the Biden administration stands. I mean, mm-hmm. you may want to say that if this recording will go on, but I, 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 I just don't know that it's been front and center enough, at least from my understanding, I'm, I'm not a huge Politico, but to know where they are. I would imagine, I think, you know, that it's it's not going to reduce the regulatory burden on energy companies. It's not going down. So I would imagine that uh, if anything, it goes up. I guess one piece of that is, is you know, the, the, the much talked about, um, you know, getting back into the uh, uh, the Paris Accord where the, the you know, so I'm, I think you might assume that there's going to be, you know, continued development, perhaps more rapid development of um, maybe carbon markets and their adoption in the U.S. and just how, you know, how is all that fit in and just a greater awareness of the kind of other regulatory schemes out there in the, you know, in Europe or wherever that were related to these, you know, to these, these, these agreements that we've not been part of, you know, if we're going to become part of them, it seems to me like we would be doing, you know, there's going to be more compliance to whatever is associated with the, with the Paris Accord. We've got regional markets in Houston and California um, here in the U.S., but those somehow would get integrated into these, you know, into, into some of the some of the other more global markets, I assume. As in 2020, energy commodity price volatility is expected to continue through 2021. So how do you see energy companies approaching varying degrees of risk or tolerance of risk against the backdrop of continued commodity price volatility and to remain competitive with peers? I think, um, sort of like I was saying earlier, you know, the uh, probably just a greater awareness of uh, of trying to remove uh, uncertainty in cash flows for things that you don't want uncertainty around. So for a producer, that's, you know, maybe effective hedging, um, sort of that, you know, just that balance sheet management. For traders, I, I think they just want to be positioned for those instances when opportunities arise. That might mean spending, you know, 80% of your year speaking to stakeholders and uh, investing in your infrastructure and making sure that you can, um, you know, you can respond and be confident about deploying capital when you need to, um, well, you know, and that 20% of the time when you actually have, you know, meaningful trades on. But a lot of it is being ready for those events. Yeah, As and I, I, look, I think, the, I think the natural DNA of, uh, of an oil and gas producer um, is just, this is probably unfair, but broadly anti-hedging, right? I mean, the, the price is always going to get better. and. Um, but, but the reality is that, um, you know, particularly coming out of a restructuring, the banks are, you know, highly interested in some certainty around near-term cash flow. And so the, the hedge requirements embedded in agreements are, you know, not really negotiable. Um, but uh, from a trader standpoint, look, they, they live on volatility. I mean, worst thing that happened to them is, you know, price of any of our energy products just to go flat and stay there. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they both need and, and thrive on that volatility. But I think as Greg said, you know, position yourself um, for for that, you know, particularly as, as it relates to getting assets that buttress your ability to arbitrage physical markets um, is, is always an important game. 
How is COVID impacting how energy companies approach the commodity markets in the current environment? And do you expect energy companies to change their tact in 2021 with a vaccine on the horizon? Yeah, COVID, the impact from COVID is obviously a massive reduction in demand for the product that they sell. And so from there, you know, from the standpoint of uh, the energy business, I think, you know, you just have to assume there's going to be more demand for energy in a, in a vaccine type of, you know, supported environment. And so, yeah, I guess like anything else, if you go through a period of time when you're, uh, when you're tested to the brink, you know, and you can come out the other end alive, you come out better. So I think, you know, you, know, you get more, more active management, you get, you know, like John said, with respect to the hedging, all this, all this things that we were that we were talking about, just you're going to manage a pretty tight ship, you know, and be ready for the next thing. To some extent, you're going to have some new technology too, right? You're going to, you know, we've all been working in a new technology environment. Maybe there's an appreciation for, um, you know, for more efficiency within every organization through technology. What steps can energy companies take to effectively manage, analyze, and improve their energy commodities trading business in order to succeed in 2021? I think it's much like we've said here. It's, it, in some respect, it's just like every other business. How can you do things more efficiently? And you know, if you look across the commodity trader landscape, you know, there's quite a variation in terms of efficiencies within the organizations. And so every organization can get more efficient and get better. Um, I think as, as these companies you know, they really need to embrace technology, embrace the efficiencies that they can build. Um, as all the markets that they're in have, you know, will get more efficient over time. And, the, you know, the ability to really capture huge moves, you know, like one once did, you, think, you know, you could say that the oil markets were first and then it was natural gas and then it was power, certainly in the U.S. You know, recently maybe LNG and there's some, some other developing markets, but overall, the way you pull more money out of this stuff is doing it more efficient and better than your competitor. And that comes from, oftentimes, from doing your process better and doing your, your technology better. Yeah, I, 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 I would take a, I, would, I agree with that completely. Um, and maybe bring up a couple other issues. You know, obviously, um, credit is, is, is so important in commodity trading. Um, you know, you can you can manage your positions and the value of your portfolio, but then all that rests on the foundation that that people on the other side of the trades can perform. And you know, I think with the stress that's going on upstream and downstream markets, um, you know, your your ability a to to uh, evaluate the creditworthiness of your counterparty is is even more important. Um, and, and also to design instruments that protect you um, in, in the case of a credit failure. Um, you know, so unless it's, unless it's a, uh, you know, a swap or whatever that uh, puts you in a position as a, as a trader for a purpose position with the first lien holders, um, you know, you, you better know your credit. Um, which then leads to the, uh, maybe a second thing, which is, you know, look, it, Everybody has the best trading shop in the world. Everybody's policies and limits are perfect. Uh, and yet you have, you have failures. And so, you know, um, always is a good time to think about, you know, how, how do I really stack up and do I have, do I have really the top line practices or people really doing what they're supposed to do? Uh, and, you know, particularly with technology, um, you know, where, where can I, 
where can I lose here? And so, you know, I think evaluating your your technology framework and then all the risk management framework that goes on top of that, you know, always is a good time to do it. That's going to do it for this episode of E2B Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of the show. To stay up to date with more insights like this and to get more podcasts downloaded directly to your mobile device, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest on the oil and gas industry. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. 